Checkpoints, the Video Game Book Club Podcast. Today we are discussing Transistor. I'm your host Marcus, and joining me today, as always, are the homies. First off, we have Greg. What's good? Next, we have Trevor. What's going on? And last but not least, we got the homie Dante. Let's go. Alright, so covering Transistor, this is Trevor's second game for the month of April. So I'm going to kick it to him so he can go ahead and introduce the game. Two games. Alright, so this week we are playing Transistor. Transistor is a single-player, sci-fi-themed action RPG that also has turn-based strategy elements to it. Um, It was created by independent developer Supergiant Games and released in May 2014 on PS4 and PC. Supergiant Games was formed by Amir Rao and Gavin Simon in 2009, both of whom worked at EA on the Command & Conquer series, which was another um, real-time strategy game. Uh, Transistor was Supergiant's sophomore title, and prior to that, they released the critically acclaimed Bastion in 2011, and then later went on to release Pyre in 2017. Transistor was well-received, and by December 2015, it sold 1 million copies. Um, that's pretty much the background on it. The reason why I want to play this game is because I was a huge fan of Bastion, just because of the art direction as well as the music. Um, and I heard that, you know, Transistor was basically made by the same small team and headed by the same people who, um, who had a hand in putting Bastion together. And I was late in the game when I played Bastion, and so um, I'm kind of late in the game playing Transistor 2, but it's all good because, um, you know, both games are well-received, but I did hear, like, some mixed reviews about Transistor, uh, mostly just about the story, so, you know, I want to see why um, there were some mixed reviews about that. And also, I wanted to see a little bit more of the same art direction and music direction um, that I saw in Bastion in a different game. All right. And uh, what what did you play this on? I played it on PC. PC? Okay, cool. Um, well, much like you, um, I'm a huge fan of Bastion. I, I think I actually got that game when it first came out because it sounded pretty cool. And I got it on 360, and I played the hell out of that game, and I pretty much did everything in that game. I think I beat it like three or four times and did all the achievements and all the extra stuff. And I remember when this game came out, and I did not pick it up because I think some of the consensus was, at least on some of the stuff that I was listening to podcast-wise, was that this game wasn't as good, and I didn't... I knew... um, I was too much into Bastion to probably give this game a fair shot, so I ended up kind of forgetting about this game, to be honest, and um, even when you brought it up and on your list and everything, um, I purposely went out of my way to not, I have never, until I started this game, never looked at artwork for this game, or um, even watched any videos of how the game was, because I kind of wanted to go in with like a fresh perspective, and like just my only experience with this game or even this this team I should say is through Bastion and um, I played this game on PC um, and I 
and I'm very excited to talk about this game. Um, Greg, uh, what what is your your background with uh, Supergiant and Transistor? Um, so I think kind of like everybody else, I played Bastion. Um, I want to say I, it was part of Summer of Arcade, right? Because I think that's how I ended up getting it. Yeah, I think it was like the last. It may have been the last year, or the second to last year. They no, did... the last year was 2013, I believe. This one came out in 2011. Oh damn, 2011. Okay, then it was yeah. like one of the last good ones, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember the last year was kind of, if I'm not mistaken, it was kind of butt. But uh, yeah, this was a summer arcade game. Yeah, so I ended up picking it up then, and just kind of sat on it for a while, and eventually I think I hit like kind of a lull and ended up going to it, and really ended up liking the game, just kind of based on the combat, the art style, the music. Um, so with Transistor, um, I ended up getting that. Um, it was part of a PlayStation Plus free game, and I think same kind of came across it the same way. It was during a lull, just didn't have anything to play, so I ended up starting it then. And um, I got about two-thirds of the way through it, just kind of never ended up getting back to it. And um, doing, with doing this podcast, I ended up having another opportunity to finally uh, finally play it and finish it. So I started fresh this time, but uh, played it on PS4. And uh, what about you, Dante? What's your history with Supergiant and pre- past experience with Transistor? So, I don't really remember when I played Bastion. I know I was a little late into the game. I remember playing a little bit back when we were at the dorms. I think, I think you introduced me to it. And I was kind of Bastion neutral initially. And I gave it a second shot eventually and I ended up really enjoying it. Transistor, however... I jumped into that one pretty early. I'd like to say it was a PlayStation Plus game at some point. And I really, really, really enjoyed it right out the gate. And it was kind of surprising to me. Because if you look at the internet narrative towards this game, most people acknowledge it's like a decent game. Like, that's what they'll say. It's like, oh, it's decent, but it's nowhere near as good as Bastion. So I was very hesitant going in. Just, I feel like every single person I talk to is like, this game is not as good as Bastion. And then I was like, well, I'll give it a shot since it was free and everything. And then it kind of like, for me, it blows Bastion out the water. We'll get into that. Um, so that's my relationship with the game. Also, I guess I've played a little bit of their newest game, Pyre. And I've kind of fallen off of that one. I'm not done with it. So of the three Supergiant games, this one's my favorite. I'm actually kind of glad you brought that up too because the, the just the overall rhetoric about the game because that was actually one of the things that put me off was because I was such a fan of Bastion that I was just like, I already know how I feel about this game, uh, this game being Bastion, so there's no way that I am going to give this game the fair shot. And I'm, I was a pretty judgmental, kind of still am, pretty judgmental uh, video game player, so I was just kind of like... I don't want those problems because I already know that I'm going to, like, boo-boo on this game, uh, like, out the gate. So, yeah. Uh, Trevor, what's up? Yeah, for me, it was kind of the opposite because I really like Bastion. But on the other hand, I'm, like, a huge fan of sci-fi and, like, you know, not necessarily cyberpunk, but, like, futuristic stuff. And, you know, for me, I was just like, man, if they had, like, a sci-fi-themed Bastion... That would be right up my alley. And so that was kind of why I was looking forward to the game. Gotcha, gotcha. 
Um, so how, how do you guys want to tackle this? Do you guys want to want to kick it to story first and kind of get that started, and then we can talk about gameplay, or how, how do you guys want to do this? I think it's worth at least like setting up the intro and kind of like how the aesthetic plays into the gameplay. Okay, uh, would you or Trevor want to kick that off? Um, I'm kind of <laughs> like I feel like I understand the story fairly decently, but at the same time, I don't want to say stuff definitively because, in some ways, it's very abstract. Like the entire world of Transistor, to my understanding, is essentially taking place in a computer. Like I don't want to skip too far ahead, but a lot of how the game works, how the gameplay functions, like the things you're equipping. There are all these homages to computer terms, so you have like a function called git, and that's a common function like when you're programming and stuff, and you're in Cloud Bank City, and your sword is the transistor, which is like a computer part thing. So all of that, they do a really amazing job of just tying everything into this digital landscape they're trying to build. Yeah, and... um I guess we can uh, we can start off then. Uh, so I think the game opens up with the main character, uh, a woman named Red. Uh, she's kneeling by the body of an unknown man who has been stabbed with a glowing sword. Um, and uh, <clears throat> the uh, the attack that killed the man has also somehow stolen her voice, and now it's inside this this sword. And uh, that man's uh, the, the the sword is the transistor. That's what you you end up finding out what it is. It's the transistor, and that dead man's consciousness has also been absorbed through the sword. So he ends up similarly to in Bastion, how there's a narrator, the sword, the uh, this transistor, through this man's consciousness that it absorbed is the narrator of the game. So he's kind of. Um, explaining things to you or like uh you can kind of tell he knows you and you guys have a friendly relationship just because of like he like he knows your name and he kind of like knows some background information about you and everything but uh that that's kind of how the game opens up where it's just like you're just kind of thrust into this thing and um you uh you basically pull the sword out and then you begin your journey and uh I think pretty early on, I think like right after that, you move a couple of steps and, uh, I don't know if we mentioned this, but it, it that the game is in a isometric viewpoint or, you know, so it's like a similar, basically just like Bastion from that same point of view. Um, and I guess we're going to be compl- comparing this game a lot to Bastion or, you know, uh, comparing the two. Um, how, how would you say the artwork looked, Trevor? Because I remember you initially, like when we got into the game, you were just like, "Yo, th- this 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 is a good looking game." I think that was like one of the first things you said. Yeah. So along with the character, since her name is Red, I think they really do a good job. They do a really good job of like utilizing that throughout the game. Like the, the red is a common theme. Um, as far as like the color palette and it's, it's done in a very painterly way. Like if you look at the, um, the art directors, um, like actual artwork, you know, it, uh, I think it's Gen Z, 
like her style is actually actually has like a, a really painterly look to it and it's conveyed very well in this game and as far as like bastion you kind of see it but it still looks more like um like a a sprite like the the kid the character the main character of the game looks more like a sprite whereas in transistor the character almost looks like it's or you can tell it's hand drawn like the animation is is done really well too like i don't want to go too far but just when i first saw the character dragging her sword and you can see the trail of sparks behind her like i thought that was just like an awesome touch to add to the um the character animation I mean, it's just like to add that kind of style to a, a really futuristic look, I think really, it was really unique as far as um, most of the games that I've seen. I, I haven't seen any type of um, um, AAA games using like a really hand-drawn look and applying it to games on this scale. What about, um, what about you, Greg? How, how do you think this stacks up? Um... I definitely like the art style more than Bastion, I think. Um, it's almost kind of, I don't know, it, 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 it's futuristic, but almost kind of like anime futuristic, I guess. It kind of, parts of it kind of remind me of like Ghost in the Shell a little bit. Like, I've never seen Blade Runner, but if Blade Runner was like a 2D game, this is kind of what I envision it being like. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just kind of like everybody, I think I was kind of like blown away with the, the style of the game. Um, the only thing I think that I might have a gripe about is I feel like, and, and this may just be a personal thing with me. I feel like it hits on a lot of the same beats that Bastion does as far as like, you know, it's this kind of, the game kind of starts off in a way you don't really know what's going on. Um, you've got the narrator kind of like you did in that game. And, um, you know, and also, you know, it's kind of like this unique art style and the same kind of uh, camera perspective and everything. So I feel like it hits on some of those things. But, um, I mean, I guess that could just be like a small gripe, but it, it, it's not to a detriment, I guess. I kind of agree with you in certain aspects where it's like if you just saw a side by side screenshot, like these games, they like they're in different environments, different settings. And then just like the in-game HUD is different. But for the most part, you have your, you know, three to four attacks and you have that same camera angle. You have the a narrator of some sort and, you know, the one character. Um, but I, I do think this game does set itself apart in other ways. Um, I, um, but I, I do agree that, yeah, even the story wise where you just kind of just dropped in this thing at a jumping off point and you're just like, oh, you know, I got to do this thing. Um the one thing I, I will say, I think this game, kind of piggybacking off what everybody else said, this game is a very st- striking game. Uh, the futuristic like vibe, cyberpunk theme, like like Trevor was saying, is is pretty cool and really right up my alley as well. Um, but there was a couple instances, and I think this is mostly something that I noticed in this game I, I, I went back and played some Bastion after beating this game just to try to kind of eke out some of the differences and a, a couple of times in this game the perspective uh, because you're there's buildings and stuff I sometimes like I felt like 
there were certain parts of the level that was like blocked or I couldn't get to or I couldn't see something and it wasn't like huge like um like it it wasn't to a detriment like I I could get over it or whatever but it did feel weird a couple times where some buildings were angled in a weird angle where I'm trying to walk to this spot or whatever and I feel like I can't see an enemy or I can't see where my character is briefly um and it, it it was more of like a nuisance than like something that was like awful you know I can't remember did that come up very often cuz in, in Bastion cuz I mean it's been so long since I played it I don't remember if that was like a similar issue there as well I I see I don't remember it being in Bastion cuz like one there's less buildings and a lot of times when, like when you got into it you couldn't go behind buildings the same way because you know you're in a in a city or like a uh, in this game, in Transistor, you're in a city where Bastion, it'd be like you're out in the forest, or you're out in, you know, like, some environment, and the level is, um, already laid out for you. It's, yeah, it's like, the- Bastion, you were kind of standing in a void of sorts, like, you were on these platforms above an abyss, from what I remember. Yeah, yeah. Versus yeah. here, it's all kind of claustrophobic. And, it, and, like, isn't the environment kind of building itself out as you're, like, walking through it in that game, Some too? levels, some levels, yes, some levels, no. Uh, but another thing, too, is in this game, you cannot, wa- I, at least if I, I may be wrong, but you can't walk off a ledge in this game like you could in Bastion. Uh, I think this game is a little less, uh, you're a little less mobile. Like, really, the only additional mobility you get in Bastion is you get, like, a roll. You don't have that in this game. Uh, you have like a a move that you can do, but it's not a roll. Um, but yeah, in Bastion there was a lot more like, oh, you can fall off the edge, and then your character, you know, gets pulled back and is spawning, blinking, and blah blah blah. And the narrator saying, and then the kid roll, you know, like he's narrating you dying or whatever. But uh, that's not something you deal with in Transistor. I think another part too, when you mentioned getting um, or the view getting blocked behind buildings and stuff. Yeah. In Bastion. There were destructible objects, whereas mm-hmm. in Transistor you don't really have any. So I can see how, like with, like in Bastion, even if you did get blocked by an object, you could destroy it. Yeah, yeah, and and like I said, it wasn't like anything game breaking or anything, but it was just like, oh well, this is kind of like hard to see at this part, and like it it, it happens so rarely, but like that was just something that I wanted to point out, you know like and like you said, I, I didn't even think about the destructible environment in Bastion, that that was probably a reason why it wasn't an issue in Bastion like it was in this game um, but I think the, the, the main thing so, uh, my I, this is, <laughs> this is the, the in my opinion, this is this game's bread and butter this is what sets this game apart from Bastion, is the combat so, like, I think right after you, you pull the sword out of the guy, you take a couple of steps, and you imi- immediately get, I think, jumped by a couple of the uh, creep. I think they're called creeps. Um, uh, the, the, what, what are the enemy types called? The, it the process? It's and I just can't think of the it off process? the process? Is it the process? Protocols? Yeah, they're all... Um, process. Yeah, they're Processed. all considered the process. I think the creeps are specific enemies. <laughs> Yeah, so the process and okay, and this is um it's going to be confusing. The, the process are the enemy types that you fight in this game and we'll we'll explain them later, but you immediately get thrown into this situation and it's almost like a not a tutorial, but it's kind of is a tutorial 
and it kind of uh, I think you start off with a single move or maybe two two moves. You start off with two moves, and the way the combat is in this game is you have turns, and you basically you can walk around in real time, you and the enemies, and you can fight that way, or you can use a turn uh, or enter your turn. And then the game just freezes, and then you get a bar at the top, and it, it almost gives you like um, uh, almost an inverse view of like the battlefield. It gets kind of like black, and you can just see little blips and dots and things like that. And you can kind of plan out your attacks. So you can, and uh, as you're clicking or choosing attacks that you uh, that you want to use, you start filling up a bar at the top. So then you realize, oh, like say the bar is a hundred meter or a hundred points each of your attacks like when you do your main attack i think it's called crash or your your starting ability it uses 25 points or something like that so you can do like four of those to waste up that 100 points or if you want to move that wastes points or if you want to do your other move that may be a little bit more expensive or a little bit cheaper and you kind of get to like it makes combat like super sick because um, there's a lot more planning involved now in this game versus Bastion. Where, it, and I love Bastion combat, but the like Bastion at some points you can get like just button mashing and just it, it, there's some timing involved with shielding and reflecting stuff. But in this game, it's more almost like a strategy game where you have to plan your turn out and. Um, even when you exit a turn, there's a cooldown, so like you can use your moves outside of the turn when the bar is recharging. But depending on the enemies you're fighting or the the environment that you're in, like it may not be smart to do that. And uh, there, there's just it, I don't know. Like I cannot rave enough about this combat. I feel like I'm making it sound so like dumb. So let me kick it to like Trevor. Yeah, so just to add on to that, like I think this game just does a really good job of allowing you to manually switch between real-time and turn-based strategy. And, I mean, it's just just like Marcus said, you it allows you to, to plan your moves out. And, like, when I first started playing it, I didn't know that you could also play in real time like i thought you could i thought you were basically just kind of waiting out until your meter refilled until you could go back into um until you could pause again and go back into turn-based strategy um what did y'all have that same thought when y'all first started or did y'all like automatically go to real time or turn-based uh i guess i figured out early on that you could you could do some real time as well but um yeah for the most part i mean i was pretty much sticking to using the uh the turn-based options instead yeah like the real-time part of it you don't you just don't have that much to to do in it for real until you get a couple more abilities like one of the big things that we haven't gone into is you pretty much accumulate functions over the course of the game functions are your attacks and at some point you're able to pair one function with another function and that gives the previous function like additional abilities it's so so awesome specific skills yes it is amazing and like 
It's almost like the Coke freestyle of video games. The amount of stuff that you just... You can do anything in this game. And <laughs> one of the skills, John in specific, allows you to use moves outside of the little turn-based thing. Normally you have to wait for the like meter, your little turn-based meter to go all the way up before you can start using attacks in real time. But that one allows you to circumvent that. So it all becomes like a process of, oh well, this skill's really useful over here, but maybe I should pair it with this other skill and turn it into something completely different for this type of situation. Just just the whole like the whole combat system. I, I, I cannot stress that enough. The entire combat system is amazing. Like like Dante said all your attacks, they're, they're called functions. And as this game progresses, you gain new abilities. And even when you level up, you get abilities as well. So you get, to, uh, you get the option to choose between two abilities, which one you want to take or whatever. But every single ability in this game, you can equip to your character either as a main ability, as almost like a modifier to an existing ability, or as a, uh, a modifier to an existing ability to make it like better. Or um, as a passive on your character that gives you a completely different character trait. So, like, there is so much customization in this game for what you can do in and out of combat. Because, like, they were saying, like, when you realize or if you realize that you can use these moves outside of, like, being in the freeze, like, in the in the turn, then it really just opens up possibilities. And, like, there's... It's so much, there's so much freedom. And, like, I, I've been playing a lot of Into the Breach, another, like, a, a real-time tra- or a strategy game, right? And a turn-based strategy game. And this game, like, going back and forth between that game and this game was, like, I got the best of both worlds where I could, you know, that game, it's, everything's on pause or, you know, like, you, you, you're taking turns with the enemy. This game, it's you can stop the game or you can play in real time or like I this is it sounds like you want to cry right now yes like (laughs) I loved Bastion Combat you don't like I loved Bastion Combat and this is a thousand times better to me like I, I could not I went back to playing Bastion after I beat this game and I was like how did I play this game like, and there's no way the the combat in this game in Transistor, it, I like it so much. And there's like, I can't compare it to anything that I've done before. And that's like the crazy part. Like, I, I feel like. I am profoundly <laughs> sad that Supergiant tends to only make one of each game. Because I would, I would kill for a every game. Two. Every or game should have along this. that style. Like it, it's it and it was crazy. Like so then okay, this going a little bit further ahead. But the one of the things in this game is they have these things called access points, and these are basically like checkpoints in the game. And um, you can't access your abilities. Like you can't switch them around or anything un- until you get to an access point. But they're scattered so much throughout the levels. That like you rarely are going more than two minutes of playtime between access points. So literally every like every single access point, 
I was switching up my abilities and trying out new combinations and new things. That's how much freedom the game gives you. Where like I I played this. I think it took me seven to I'll say I'll say maybe eight or nine hours to play this game. And every single access point, I changed at least one of my abilities, and I never duplicated. Like that's how much variability is in this game and how much freedom and creativity you get. I, th- I think that the game even like pushes creativity even even further in the fact that like if you die or quote unquote yes! die, I guess it 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 makes you have to go to two access points to even get the skill back so now you're like okay well now I got to dig in and try something else just to just so I'm not like you know, missing an ability during this time or whatever, right? So. Yeah. It's so smart because they it's... never make it so hard that you're going to, like, completely game over die, but you might lose one or two things at a time. You have and... no... I like. I think me and Trevor, we're always the scrubs in every game, and we always die the most, so I think we probably felt this a little bit more than you guys, but straight up, like, my very first couple of fights, like, I had three moves. I had the two moves you start off with and I had this other move that was a dash. And I love that move. And every time I got into a fight, it, it, what it, what the game does, and it's super smart, is, like, you have X amount of points that you can spend on these abilities, on these functions. So you have, like, a... Okay, when you start off, you have 16 points. So every ability costs a certain amount of points so you can't spend over that 16 points if that makes any sense so like the first move you start off with is worth one point another move is worth two some are worth three some are worth four i think four is the most expensive well when you augment these things you're augmenting and adding more points to this thing so like when you lose you lose your most expensive point wise ability so any ability and all the augments that you put on it, all the upgrades, you lose that until you get to an access point or two access points. So like a lot of time that that was one of the reasons why it forces you to be creative, because if you die, you don't have access to this move anymore for like, you know, five, five or six minutes. So you have to make do and or experiment with something else in the meantime, because you don't want to be short like some ability or some type of movement option for combat. So, like, the game is constantly... It's a super, super smart way of forcing you as a player to use other abilities that you may not want to use. Because, like, I think everybody here has played games where it's like, you find that ability, you either start off with a super sick ability in the beginning and you just stick with that ability throughout the entire game, or you get an ability at the very end of the game and because it's at the very end, you assume it's super OP, so you just stick with that one. And, like, this game... it flips that concept on its head because it's like there's so much experimentation that like you may have got this game this ability at the end of the game and it may not prove to be useful as ability but if you use it as a modifier for something that's you already you know use then it just makes it super sick like this is a game where nobody ends up at the same place like you hear that like marketing PR speech all the time of like oh, the gun in Destiny is going to be your gun and nobody else will have that gun. No, this game makes that real. That This game ensures that you have a specific playthrough that nobody else will experience. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And then, on top of that, uh, so like the, the level-up system, um, they have... Um, 
basically you get experience as you it, you you win battles, you get battle experience, and that experience goes to leveling you up. So like when you level up, you get certain things like you may get an ability, or you may get um, more memory, so you can have more abilities, or you may get more upgrade slots. Because I think when you start off, like you you have, um, I think it's four. You can have up to four functions mapped, four abilities mapped. But then there's no upgrade slots for them. So you can unlock one or two upgrade slots for them. Then you can upgrade passive abilities for your character. And so, like, you can use a move in three different slots. Like, like say, the move you start off with, you can put it as the main ability. You can put it as an upgrade or you can put it as a passive. And it does three vastly different things depending on the slot that you put it in. Uh, and then on top of that, too, um, they have this cool feature... Um, that they introduce, I think once you hit level 5 or level 6 with limiters, and these things are basically modifiers to make combat more difficult to net you more experience and those are also pretty cool because um, even if you're like an OG or you know you're returning to this game for the second or third or fourth time, you can still have that, diff- even though you may have all these abilities, you can still make combat trying for you yourself by stacking on a bunch of these limiters and they kind of make like um there are when you kill enemies there's these things that you have to pick up in order for them to not respawn they're called a um uh, cells cells yeah they're called cells and so something like okay you have 10 seconds in a normal difficulty or you know with no limiters on i think you have 10 or 12 seconds to pick up a cell and otherwise it will respawn well there's a limiter to have that so you know you have six seconds to pick it up there's a limiter that uh makes all the cells become shielded so once you kill an enemy they're shielded so you have to use another turn or use abilities to break the shield in order to pick them up there's another limiter that makes enemies do twice as much damage there there's just tons of customization with this combat and like not not to boo boo or you know like bastion had like the upgrade system with their weapons and you could kind of choose between two options that you wanted and that was cool and i i really you know you could i think something like the repeater the 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 fang repeater or whatever the, the pistol you got the one of the first upgrades was you could uh either up your critical strike uh, percentage or you can upgrade your reload speed or something like that and so you you do have an upgrade system in Bastion but it's you have to choose between two pre-existing things the way the functions and the combat in this game works you have it, like you have the ability and it's always this this strong or whatever but then you get to choose what modifier based off of your play style how you want to do it and that's what kind of completely blows Bastion out of the water, in my opinion, as far as like the customization and just the the creativity that you can have in this combat system. And I feel like I've been I've been gushing. For, I'm gonna kick to you, Dante. Well, um, the one thing I wanted to say was the limiters. They change up the gameplay completely. So it doesn't sound like much when you when he just said like oh, cut this time you have to pick up the cells from 12 seconds to 6 seconds or whatever. But that's a lot of time in this game. I can't, like, I can't stress it enough. Because if you let the cells respawn, they become, like, 
they come back as enemies. So you have to change your entire strategy to make sure that doesn't happen. Whereas like originally it wasn't really that big of an issue. It might happen like maybe once a battle or whatever. But now it's like, man, I just killed this thing. And if I don't have enough juice to pick up all the cells immediately after I kill it, it might even become a worse thing at that point because it just spawned three new enemies or whatever. And the other thing, Greg had something to say a little bit ago. So. Oh, I, I was just going to ask, did anybody actually try and do a new game plus uh, playthrough to see if it, because uh, if I remember right, it uh, it does, it carries over everything. And then also the enemy progression um, it carries that as well, so you're fighting the same enemies that you were fighting towards the end of the game anyway. I I was going to do a new game plus, but I didn't think I was going to have enough time to finish it before this, so I'm going to just play that on my off time. on my <laughs> After after this episode, I'm going to, because I definitely need to get back into Transistor. Uh, I've been itching to play some more, so I'll check it out afterwards. Um... I guess, is there any more, like, gameplay mechanics that we need to touch on now before we, we get into the story? I, I have some experiences that I want to share, but they're, it make more sense to share them as we get through the the story and some of the things that you encounter. Cool. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think we're missing anything else, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, so, I think the way the game, it sets it up for you is... Um, kind of what Dante alluded to. Um, and here, here's the wiki. I think this will be the best way of going about it. Here's the wiki explanation. The player controls Red, a singer in the city of Cloudbank, who uses the transistor to fight the process and to bring the camarada to justice. So, basically, Cloudbank is a um, a city in the clouds. I guess it's. I I think it's there. And their representation of almost like a computer, right, Dante? Yeah, it's a, it's a cloud net network like Amazon or whatever. Yeah, the, the, and like I before I'm gonna I'm gonna say this before we get going into the story. This game, this story, much like I think even more so than Bastion, it is very very esoteric. It is hard to piece together what is going on in the moment. And, like, it wasn't until after, I, I, I can say, at least for me, it wasn't until after I beat this game and I started looking up what actually happened and, like, what was going on that I kind of understood, like, you know, um, the story a little bit more. Because I don't think the game, personally, I don't think the game does a good job of, I, well, may, maybe it's because I don't know enough about programming. That might be it. But I, I don't think it did a good enough job of kind of explaining what was going on. But, but like, now that I've read about the game, I can go back and, like, I, and that's why I want to play a second playthrough. I'm going to do the new game plus to kind of be like, oh, like, this makes sense now, this makes sense now, this makes sense now. But as a newcomer come in, I had no idea what was going on. I feel like they do that in, on purpose just to kind of, like, leave it up to the to the player to try and, like make up their own, I guess, kind of fill out the story on your own, I guess, right? Maybe that's what I'm, I'm thinking that they're trying to do with it. Yeah, all I was going to add was the game is mostly about an abandoned city and why it became abandoned and stuff like that. So it's kind of you picking up the pieces and figuring out, like, 
what exactly happened to the city? Why did these Kamrata people do this to the city? What is the actual like existence of the city to some extent? And we'll get into that. But I'd like to say that it's intentionally kind of vague. That's not like justifying it or anything, but I think it was a stylistic to- choice for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I th- I definitely think it was a stylistic choice. This is definitely their style, but like it, it wasn't until you said something about these functions being computer related that like cuz I I'm not a programmer, so I had no idea that all these were named after actual like computer functions, right? And like I knew the transistor kind of looked like a chip it, in a computer. It it takes a little while like the first time I played through it, I don't think I inferred as much as I did the second time going in but then like once you notice it is really really heavy handed about it yeah yeah so and um so one small aside just like the functions you pick up come from the souls or I guess the corpses of people that have died along the way so that's another I guess tie in to this whole digital theme yeah so the transistor is a mix between a computer, a key to the city, and it's storage for fragments of people. It's your it's your sword, and it is the narrator. Uh, the camarada, um, they're a pack of uh, four influential citizens of Cloudbank who wanted to preserve Cloudbank in a state that they find appealing, rather than watching it constantly change on the whim of the people. And what that means is like their their uh, their whole society. Like, it's so quote-unquote perfect that, like, they have, like, uh, what do they call them? Um, I forgot what the, uh, the, the terminal, I think the terminals that they have around the city, that the citizens can vote on arbitrary things, like, what do they want the weather to be like today, or, you know, like, they can respond to, um, polls, uh, political polls, or just even, like, just, like, entertainment polls or things like that. So, like, this society is supposedly super, um, it's almost a perfect society, and these four individuals, they, I think, think that, in their mind, they can make it more, they can make it better. So, um, the pro, and so, the, the, the process are the Camarada's pet project for seizing control of the city, and, um, they went, the process went berserk because the camarada didn't do a good job of programming them with an effective failsafe. So they kind of went out on their own. And, um... Let's see... Um... So, I think, basically, you as the, um... I think the Red, I think initially you're trying to piece together what's going on. And you realize, oh, you have to take down the camarada. And it's these four characters, uh, Sybil, Asher, Grant, and Royce. Um, and so they, their goal, I guess, in making this perfect society is they're killing key individuals of Cloudbank that are quote-unquote artistic. Um, so you're a singer, so they were trying to take you out, and, um, I don't remember what the other characters are that they, they end up taking out, but, um, they're seen as being, like, key or highly influential, uh, individuals in the city of Cloudbank that they're taking out, 
and then they can put their souls or whatever in this transistor sword to help them make a more perfect society or a society that they deem as perfect um so uh you end up going through and i think the first fight is against sybil is there anything that we hit before we talk about the sybil fight guys um which um enemies have we encountered up to this point i know we mentioned the creeps do we get to the jerks before this um I yes think so yes i mean and the weeds and the dogs right I don't think this you, is where you fight the dog. Oh, is it? I thought, I thought because yeah, I think you've. I think so, or maybe it's, it's. I know you run into a dog after Sybil, but I'm not sure if you fight her, fight it during. But you fight the creeps, you fight the cheerleaders. Um, so the creeps are pretty generic enemies. They're like the fodder enemies. Cheerleaders are these like satellite enemies that shoot this uh, laser onto friendly. Uh, other process members and they basically shield them and make them invulnerable so you have to take out the cheerleaders before you can take out the enemy that they're shielding so um, they're kind of like a support enemy then they have weeds which are kind of like um, these. they're like sea anemone almost that just stick up out the ground and they don't move anywhere but they have like a, a uh, they kind of block off the battlefield from for you or Ah, they block you off on the battlefield so you have to take them out in order to open up some of the battlefield or if you get in their uh, area of uh, influence then they start doing damage to you Um, what was the the jerks Trevor? Um, the jerks do those like area of effect ground pound things and they move kind of quickly the giant things Yeah. oh yeah yeah you did fight some of those already and those, those, yeah, like Trevor said, they're these huge enemies with a lot of HP, and they ground pound. And I think as they ground pound, like they, it's if you get super close, it kind of slows you down, right, or sucks you in. That might be an upgrade later that they did. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, the <laughs> the civil boss fight. How'd you guys feel about the civil boss fight? Well, as far as the um, the enemies, did y'all catch like, like I'm not like a programmer. I've only done like websites but um all of the names of the enemies look like placeholders for stuff like cheerleader they're not like serious names it just seems like oh like if you went into like the directory file for a game and you just looked at the enemy names and stuff like that yeah yeah that's pretty funny now that i think about it <laughs> i never even thought about that lady and man yeah that makes sense <laughs> i never thought about that either there, there was, um, I read somewhere that the Transistor makes fun of some of the names of these characters and points it out how they're lazy na- names. And then I think what somebody um, inferred was that it's the Transistor that is naming these enemies and not, you know, so I think he has like these pet names, I guess, or like that's his interpretation of what these things are. So, um, yeah, that's a thing. Um, do you got, you got anything with the, the Sybil fight? Cause I think this is the first character you fight. You end up fighting her at the stage that you, um, had your show at the, the day that you and your, the other guy got attacked. 
and I think she is also a I think she's uh she's also a she's singer. like a talent recruiter yeah slash, she's something like, like that I don't know if she does any singing herself but she was kind of like the main POC for Red from the Camarada yeah but she's a uh she's a um has a parasol that she uses and she has like three different stages which each time she has a little bit more she has more life um <clears throat> excuse me she has more life uh when you fight her um she she's not re- I don't know I I did die on her uh once I think maybe twice I think no once I died on her once so um and like I, like we said earlier when you die you still stay in combat you just lose an ability and your life goes back up can so, we use the term overload cause that way I can yeah okay I overloaded on her once whoa what wait what? <laughs> <laughs> I set you up <laughs> there's also like a weird kind of like last chance thing where like if you take too much damage it puts you in the uh in like the slow down state emergency so can... or something yeah. like that yeah, yeah there's I... a limiter that takes that away <laughs> oh wow yeah so like if you if your life goes down to zero before you die uh obviously if you don't have if you have this limiter uh equipped then it doesn't but you get like a last chance like greg said where it's like okay well can you clear out this without getting hit again? And if you get hit, then you die. Overload, excuse me. And then you, you lose an ability. But um, she she was... Uh, I think it was cool fighting her. Because it, like... I think up until this point, for the most part, you're fighting like... When you get into a battle, you're fighting all of the same type of enemies. Uh, I think this may have been the first time you fight that cheerleader. The one that um, puts the shield on the enemy. So this was like one of the uh, the best cases examples of when you have to actually plan out how you want to use a turn. Where before, you mean like all the enemies are the same, so it doesn't really matter who you damage or whatever, whatever. But in this one, okay, you have to take out these cheerleaders first because they're shielding these other enemies, and you also like want to deal with enemies that are close to you, and maybe you want to do as much damage as you can, and then kind of create some space between you and uh, Sybil um, because her attacks could hit you from a distance so I try not to get um, or each each stage she had like a different attacks or whatever so I think she did um, so um, yeah the, there was a little bit more strategy in this and she she was a good like training ground I guess you could say for like okay you if you get to this part you're gonna have to learn how to you know best use your turn and best plan out your strategy for how you want to approach this fight what you think trevor so just to get an idea of kind of how y'all played did y'all utilize the walls or did y'all destroy them as y'all tried to attack bro those walls (laughs) saves lives yeah you mean like using them as cover right right? yeah yeah I, i ended up doing that what what Trevor's talking about is like each battle sometimes has walls that pop up out the ground and as they take damage they go back into the ground and over time they'll pop back up so you can kind of use those as protection while you're in the battle um, against enemies and things like that 
Um, but you can do damage to them, and they'll go away, and other enemy, enemies can do damage to them, too. So, like, I know a lot of times, that, like, for me personally, as I was waiting for my turn meter to f- fully recharge, I'm, like, you know, dodging back and forth and running circles around the wall to, like, get away from an enemy that's chasing me or shooting at me or something like that. I'm always trying to make sure that I have a wall or some some sort of cover in between me and whatever enemy is trying to attack me. Um, you guys got anything specifically for Sybil, or should we just proceed? I thought it was a cool boss fight. Like, I kind of forgot that this game had bosses going back in, and she was the first one to make me overload a couple things, so just having that dynamic and getting me a little shook, that was nice. Yeah, um... But uh, you once you defeat her, you absorb her into the transistor, and uh, you learn that you learn where to find the remaining Camarada uh, members, and you also she gives you backdoor access, and uh, backdoor is pretty cool section of this game. Um, it's almost like an escape from this computer, like it's almost escape from like this, like uh, as he said, um, uh. Blade Runner esque environment. When you go, when you find that back door, it it takes you into this like island that has like a treehouse and it's like a very like you know beautiful uh, uh, aesthetic. And this is like your training ground. So this is like um, they have. You can go into the treehouse and you can kind of do like tr- uh, what are they called? Um, challenge rooms. And the challenge rooms are are um, pretty cool because there's four different types. There's a speed test. Basically, you have 60 seconds in order to clear this room of enemies. Or they have survival, which is like, oh, you got to survive with these abilities for two minutes. Or they have a turn-style one where it forces you to kill all the enemies on the screen in a single turn to kind of show you how to plan. And then they also have, like, a a custom one where you have to go through, like, X amount of waves of enemies um, with your own preset or, like, you get to choose what abilities you want to use. So each of these challenge rooms are are pretty unique, and you unlock them as you get further and further in the game. So when you go into the first back room, you only have, like, one of these challenge rooms unlocked. When you go to the second one, there's two more unlocked. And by the time you get to the third one, you have pretty much, or the, it's not the third, the last one, you have access to all the different challenges, and they're all vastly different, and they're all pretty good teachers of how to play and you do the combat in this game. Um, the My only complaint about these challenge rooms, and I will kick it to somebody else after this, is that, well, actually, no. What did you think about the challenge rooms? And I'll start with you, Trevor. How did you feel about these challenge rooms? I thoroughly enjoyed them. Like, I thought it was a good way for the game to introduce you to new moves or new functions. And I forget which ones allow you to choose which functions to use. Um, the custom one. Was that the custom one? Yeah, where you had to do, fight the waves of enemies, and you had to like choose. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was, I thought you meant the, um, like the, the, yeah, the practice one. But yeah, that one kind of forces you to use specific moves 
and then it gives it limits like your memory that you have in order to equip functions and so you have to come up with some with some pretty cool um combinations and yeah. there's for the most part a lot of these have multiple solutions but like some of them like the speed test and the um the the turn one the one where yeah, you have the planning one the planning yeah one. the planning one um, those more so you have there's there's less there are less ways you can complete them successfully it's like there's a set strategy you need to go into with the moves that you have because a lot of these minus the custom one all these other ones they they give you preset abilities with preset upgrades to them so you only have these two moves and you have to kill all the enemies or you have these two moves and you have to survive or something like that. Um, how, what did you feel about them, Dante? How did you feel well, about Well, I was just going to say I'm happy that one of these two games we played this month had actual puzzles. Dang! Balls. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa. I kind of wanted to make a reference to these being puzzles, but I also didn't. <laughs> But they are. Are they, though? Hey, man. I definitely had to think a couple times. It's like, hey, I only have, like, one turn to take out all of these things. Let me let me find out a strategy and execute on that strategy. That's what I was going to say. Are, are these puzzles or are they strategies? Thinking emoji. I remember when Dante said last time, he said, none of these made me stop and think, and literally that's what you have to do. <laughs> uh, what about you, Greg? How did you feel about these challenge rooms? Um, I didn't dive too deep into them. I think I did basically kind of like one of each just to get a good feel of like, you know, how they how they worked. I mean, I, I liked them. I just didn't have like a strong attachment to like kind of go through and do every single one of them. But, oh. but yeah, I, I liked them. Though. Well, the reason why they were beneficial to do was because you got to play around and see some new ability, like future abilities that you could potentially unlock. But also, you got experience, so you could level up. Yeah, I and wish- I know the part of it that you didn't like. I actually did like, and part of that might be because I was returning to the game, and I probably somewhere deep in my mind kind of. Oh, I'll, I'll say knowledge it here in a second. I'll let Trevor say what he had to say first. No, I was just oh, going to say, I wish it they gave you a little bit more experience for doing these. Like, I I can't remember which ones I got to the end of, but it didn't seem like it gave me that much experience for completing it. Maybe like 10%. Yeah. I think that's what it was. Even with, I don't think, I think it was a base level too, because I, I don't even think that they applied your limit limiters to the amount of experience you got, either. Um, the limiters but, don't apply to the challenge rooms. Yeah, yeah. So, kind of what Dante was saying. My complaint about these challenge rooms, um, and this is a minor complaint, was that when you start in, when you fall into a room, I guess you could say, you have preset abilities well you may not have these abilities in your normal repertoire so you may have two brand new ass moves that you've never used before and then your goal or your objective is to clear out this room in 75 seconds or or whatever and it's like I don't even know how to use these moves and there's no 
where that you can read about these moves outside of an access point. So you can't even read and like you can only read up on things that you already have. So you're kind of flying in the dark when you get dropped into this room. It is a challenge room though, so there's that, but it was a little bit annoying for me where there were a couple of challenge rooms that it maybe took me and it's not a long time, but it maybe took me like twenty or so minutes in order to beat a room because I didn't know how to use um I shouldn't even say twenty minutes, honestly maybe no more than 10 but like if i didn't know how to use an ability then it took a lot of trial and error and uh ultimately though these rooms were fun and this game and this combat is enjoyable enough that like it wasn't like a huge like ding on overall how i felt about the game but that was my only complaint was that okay i'm going into i'm getting dropped into this room i wish i could have at least some type of like explanation of what this move did you know because and also too like not only these moves uh things that you don't have but then they also have upgrades to them already so like um you may not if you were to get this move you may not be able to recreate that effect or whatever either so there was a lot of like um weird combinations that I would not have used in in uh my personal playthrough that I was forced to use in a challenge room but on the other side on the flip side this also helped promote more experimentation because when I got to a new move or I saw a move and I was like okay I don't know what load does or I don't know what this move does and then when I level up and I have I can choose between that move or this one I'm like oh cool that was that move that I use here I'm gonna make sure I get that because that thing was cool um, what, what you got to say, Trevor? So I'm not going to say this makes up for your complaint, but the game kind of, the challenge rooms kind of unlock along with your level. And I guess depending on which abilities you pick once you level up, you may or may not pick up the ones that are available in the challenge room. That That's, I can remember one specifically where it was like there was two moves that you had and they were both had upgrades on them and I only had one of the four functions in that particular challenge room and then when I leveled up I had access to I could choose between one of the two uh, you, you get to choose between two moves and both of those were moves from that challenge room and I had no idea what they did until I leveled up and I could read on what they did and I ended up going for one over the other because I just like the upgrade on it more but that just happened a lot where it was just like man like what does this thing do oh this is what it does and it was just it was it forced a lot of trial and error but this game forces a lot of trial and error so overall it wasn't like a this took away from my experience it was just kind of like damn it would have been a little bit more convenient if I knew what this move did going in and then that way like I would be super hyped to get this move once I leveled up to that level to get it, but not knowing what it does, what it did as an upgrade or as a passive, it was just kind of like, well, damn, why would I choose this? <laughs> um, and then really, it was kind of weird, but the the you got some experience, but really the main thing uh, doing these challenge rooms was just to kind of I, I feel like get you more familiarized with the combat, but then as a, also as a reward, you unlocked music uh tracks from the game so you got to get uh, unlock music and play it in your jukebox while you're in the back door but uh that was a super cool thing and that was like the most 
memorable thing about the Sybil fight was basically you get access to not only the locations of the remaining Camaretta or Camaretta, Rada, whatever, uh, villains, members, but uh, you also got access to the back back room, which allowed you to do all this other extra stuff. Um, and I think basically, what's up? Oh, the other thing I was going to ask about the functions before we move on was that did y'all notice there's like a completion thing for testing out each function in different slots? Like you, if you use it in passive slot um, as a primary slot or an upgrade slot, it gives you like a completion thing. Does that give you any type of bonus? Did y'all see? I did not notice that. So so wait, you're saying... Like it, it tracks it, which slots you've put each ability in. And which ones you like? Use. You get additional background story for each character based on where you use their moves. Like, if you want to get all three paragraphs for a character, you have to use it active, passive, and upgrade. Essentially, I did not know. Oh, that. it just gives you the background story. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Every now and then, it would have like new in parentheses next to it to in- when you inspect it. And I was wondering why oh. that popped up so much. Is that when you go to the access point and it says something like six things? Yeah. Okay. You can also do that for the limiters, and you get some background information on, like, the enemies and stuff. And all you have to do for those is use them in battle once. Man, that's why this... I'm kind of sad that that's kind of, like, hidden and, like, obfuscated. They they notify you every single access point. (laughs) Yeah, it it tells you, like, every time you click on a function, it has new in parentheses next to where you can inspect it. Like a little but notification. Did you know? Did you know it added paragraphs to? Well, I noticed that they were there, but I didn't know that's what it was corresponding to. That's they that's make what it I really mean. apparent though, because like when you go to the character's bio page in the bottom right corner, you'll see these three green locks, or I guess they'll be green or red depending on what you unlocked. And it'll say, "Put this in passive to unlock such and such paragraph about character." Well, I had a one-track mind. I was just thinking about combat every time I went to the access point. So, excuse me. Um, that's cool, though. Um, so, yeah, after you take out Sybil, you basically are like, okay, we're going to head to these other... These these two... Uh, these two camarada members that are together. I think their names are Grant and Asher Kendrell. And... Um, you basically you you go through it like these apartment buildings, these high rise, these admin centers, and eventually you go th- get to these uh, these towers, and uh, the two members are are kind of located there, and I think at this point um, <clears throat> you um, uh, well on the way you encounter the spine of the world, which was apparently a landmark of Cloudbank, and now it's like this huge creature that's in the or it takes the form of a huge possessed or processed creature um and it affects the transistor a, a, a great deal and so like his speech becomes slurred and dazed almost like he's drunk and like his the circle uh near the the hilt of the sword basically like which you would look like an eye it beca- it starts glowing and just constantly is sparking and um, I I don't 
I don't understand what this is supposed to represent. I don't understand why this effect is happening. Do, do any of you guys, were any of you guys able to figure that out or find out why? All I know is the tail is really annoying. <laughs> Alright, well, as you're getting closer and closer to this spine uh, of the world, this creature, it it starts attacking you, and like what Trevor was saying, the, the, the tail, like once you get closer to it, um, closer to the area where it's located, it's such a massive creature that it's just attacking you in the environment with its tail, so it would either stab uh, down into the world as you're fighting people or whatever, moving around, or it'll stab through walls at you. Uh, and it's super quick, too, where it's like, you, it, you only have like a couple of seconds to react before, to, to get out the way or whatever. Or um, hit your turn button and use John. I was about to say that. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't, I had, at that point, I had John as a, 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 a passive, so not all of us were hashtag blessed. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah. Uh, ultimately, though, you you end up getting to where this creature is located, and you have to fight the spine. And how did you guys enjoy or not enjoy fighting the spine? Because I hated fighting the spine, and I have a story. But- uh, I didn't hate it. I guess. I mean, I I definitely, you know, I guess got overloaded a couple of times. Um. But I didn't find it, like, super annoying other than I feel like the way that it's set up is, you, like, there's almost unavoidable damage, it feels like, sometimes. Like, or maybe maybe it's just the way I was playing it, but I felt like there was some times where it was, like, it was really hard to avoid damage. Because I was basically trying to use the, the walls to, uh, <clears throat> to try and, like, uh, shield myself a little bit, but sometimes those will go away, and then you're kind of stuck out there in the open unless you have jaunt, and you can kind of like maybe get out the way. But yeah, I mean, I didn't really have too big of an issue with it other than down a couple times. Well, I know for me, um, he took a lot of damage. One, I think he had just over 3,000. Yeah, yeah. So the way I had my move set up was I had two abilities to attack that did damage and then I had an ability that switched enemies to be on my side and then I had a movement ability and almost immediately um, I think he killed me pretty quickly or overloaded me pretty quickly and I lost my movement ability and uh, I got him into half health and I think every time you took off a thousand damage he had this huge eruption where he sent out cells and basically I had the limiters that made them shielded and also made them spawn in half the time. Bad day, bad day, bad day, bad day. Basically it was a all it was a horrible day and I ended up like losing one of my attacks and then it was down to just having the charm the, the, the switch ability, the ability to charm enemies and another attack ability and I just knew that, like, and I don't know how, <laughs> how, but um, my most my ne- my next most expensive move was the attack one, so I died or overloaded a third time, and I was like, damn, like I'm just gonna have to restart this boss fight because I'm not gonna be able to do any damage to him, because I only had the switch the, the the charm move, but they took that instead, and I was able to kill him, and 
I immediately after that fight, I turned off both those limiters, and I was like, I'm not doing this again, because that almost cost me that fight, and like I that fight, I hated that fight too. So having to play that again would have been awful. Granted, that fight was only like five minutes tops. I feel like. But it was it was a lot longer for me because I had to deal with all those freaking cells regenerating. So, like... You don't focus on the cells, man. You just go for the main baddie. N- nah, no, those, I had to because they were respawning. Those, those bad <laughs> cells, man, those things are quick and they tag you. And, like, and there's so many of them. Like, like there was, like, 20 of them every time. You just jaunt to the other side. I lost jaunt. You're not understanding. <laughs> like, <laughs> we had different playthroughs, bro. <laughs> so, fair yeah. Enough, fair enough. I lost jaunt from the jump. So, like, I, I had two attacks and switch. And switching a, a cell was not going to do anything. And you couldn't switch the spine. So, it was, like, a worthless move. I should have known then not to not use that move anymore, but I, I never learned. Oh, I think we were on Discord when you said you were using um, you're using Switch while you were fighting him. Oh, oh no, that was on the final boss. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, which I should have learned fighting <laughs> the spine to not choose Switch, and I didn't learn. <laughs> but uh, yeah, overall, like I, I like I think after you kill this guy, uh, your sword <laughs> he's feeling better or whatever. But, like, the coolest part was that, um, you go inside of his body and, like, basically attack his heart, but it's really cool, and I always, like, I think every game, I gotta pull out the Donkey Kong reference, but, like, you're, you're walking, and it's like a, a side-scroller at that point, and it's a really cool, like, well-lit background, and then the foreground and your character are super dark, silhouetted, uh, shadows, and it really, really reminded me of Donkey Kong Country Returns, which is a great game. <laughs> there are some really good silhouettes in this game. Yeah, <laughs> especially like the one when every... she's on the motorcycle. The especially... one where she's on the boat. Especially when things are backlit. Like I, I think Trevor said the artist's name before, but she does like a fantastic job in like. Even, like, the transitional things where it's just, like, a still and then the camera is kind of panning from a corner or a side of the picture. Like, just, the, like, some of those transition shots are super sick. And, like, stuff like this where it's, like, this is, the game is moving and you're in a different point of view. And it's just kind of like a cutscene playing out, but it almost looks natural like it's something, like, you would see in it. Like, you could potentially be playing this at that part like that side scrolling part because she's just running to the right you, you you're just running towards the heart but it just looks like a different game in that same world and it, it looks super cool um you got something trevor yeah so when y'all were fighting the spine or actually when i was fighting the spine um i had just unlocked load and that thing does a ton of damage like, I would basically use, like, three turns to drop a bunch of packets around um, the spawn's face. And and then after I'd get around all the cells or whatever were around, I would, you know, shoot one of the packets, set off a chain reaction, and take out a massive amount of damage. I didn't have load. <laughs> chose wrong. Yeah, I... I, well, I had Git. I think that's what I chose, and that was the one that made, like, the cells be, like, a... A magnet, so oh, they are attracted yeah. to you. But that was unfortunate when they were shielded. It, it made them come to me even quicker, <laughs> which 
Which is why I had this. I struggled. I mean, that, that that's actually effective if you have an area of effect attack. Yeah, I did. Oh. <laughs> I used crash as a or whatever crush as a as a upgrade. So I was playing kind of wrong, but it's okay. We made it through. We gonna be all right. Yeah, I never really respected Git until that one challenge room where they like show you how to really use it. Against that's why. That's why I used it. Actually, I used it because of that. I, really, I, I chose it, um, and I was glad I chose it after fighting Spine. That Spine, because I was like, I'm never going to deal with shielded uh, cells again. But I want to. I'm still going to leave this half half time respawn on them, so I need to make sure I can get to them quickly. So, yeah, I think um, I think after that, you you kind of stay in that same area, and you end up getting to the towers. And they're uh, super, they're, they're walled off, or not walled off, but they're, you, you don't have access to them. Uh, but you're getting communicated through the um, terminals, the corrupted terminals, from Asher that him and Grant have walled themselves out in order to keep the process, or walled themselves in in order to keep the process out. And he kind of almost seems sorry for what has happened to CloudBank, because at this point, the, the 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 process have taken almost taken over CloudBank, uh, the the streets and everything seems to be in chaos. Like I think they, a lot of these terminals that you're reading stuff from, you're getting news from, have basically said like either people are dying or they're evacuating the city and they're leaving. Um, which because it's a computer, I guess that means they're logging out, right, Dante? So I have a couple theories that we might get into at the end about like what existence is and all of this stuff. Okay. Um, like, is this Tron, or is it like people actually using the computer on the outside? Yeah, like, I always interpreted it as, like, these people, I don't know, uploaded their consciousness, or maybe something like that. It's hard to tell. It's like... It sounds like some I, Black I wonder, Mirror stuff. I was gonna say, <laughs> is it San Junipero? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> um... But, uh, yeah, so, like, he's remorseful, and Grant, his homie, or lover, or friend, or adopted son, or I don't know what their their relationship is, he's in worse con- condition, uh, but the transistor doesn't believe him, um, until later on, um, basically, you basically have to fight through two sections of this around this these towers to gain access to the tower you take these elevators up to the top floor and you finally are ready to confront asher and grant you get out onto where they're walled up you walk into the room and you see that they both have committed suicide so um basically grant was unable to cope with losing the transistor and the destruction of cloud cloud bank so that's why he killed himself and asher was unwilling to continue on without him so that's why he killed himself and so you get their data and you find out the last remaining member of the camarada name is royce bracket and you kind of have to backtrack to get to him and uh another another one of those really cool like transitional pieces where it shows you riding riding the pro like a swarm of the process back to the stage um you, the stage where you had your last performance 
and um, you continue through. Uh, you you go you build a you construct a bridge with the transistor, and uh, you go to this new part of the town called Fairview or District Fairview District, and it's already been processed completely. So it almost looks like it. It's so different because it almost looks like. And I'm gonna have to kick it to you guys, but like it almost looks like a factory where processes are being created, but then also there's like a lot of lighter colors used in this section, almost kind of like it's heaven, or like it's super clean and pure. Did you guys get that vibe, Trevor? Um, I didn't see. It didn't feel as open to me it felt like a really closed off area and so I, d- I didn't get the vibe like like it was heaven more so just like it- I, I shouldn't say heaven I, I I meant mostly because it had already been taken over completely by the process like one it looked like a, some of those earlier sections you were at it looked like a factory because there was so many just like you ever see those old movies like where they show like soldiers lined up and like like they're just like perfectly spaced apart from each other ready to take orders from whoever is leading them like at some type of podium or whatever and that's kind of how they were lined up where they were perfectly spaced apart from each other I was thinking like I don't remember the the fetch are those the chicken ones or the cluckers the cluckers yeah. yeah like those ones like in some of the areas they're perfectly lined up from each other and then once you get out of that factory area and you're kind of in that next part with the the man, the the man, the men. A lot of the backgrounds and stuff was like white, and it was like it, it seemed like it lacked any color. That part, and it was just that part to me seemed that, more like a, a graveyard. Is that the part you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, but like it, it was the like I felt like it was like their what they were trying to achieve in Cloud Bank, that's what they had already achieved here at this Fairview district. And it was pure and clean, but I think it was like, because this is the process interpretation of being pure and clean. And so they killed everything because everything was needed to die in order to make this area pure. I can see something like that being the case. (laughs) I just heard like a, plain sound effect or something i just like is that trevor's brain what's going on (laughs) did you did you guys feel any see anything or catch anything in this section while you're getting to royce did you guys have different thoughts about it i caught like the the mc escher stuff where you were walking upside down and that's the different perspective yeah all that okay yeah 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 almost like uh those old hanna-barbera cartoons (laughs) That's kind of what it reminded me too, where you're like, especially with those little, not teleporters, but those like jump pads, where you, you know, go one way, then you come back the next way, and you're, certain aspects don't look like they're crossing, but then you see like, oh, it it was really cool, like they're, they're, uh, whoever designed this section of the game, I think they were like, well, we did like a super simplified version of this in Bastion, but we really want to flex and stretch our creative muscles and kind of make this section seem different than anything that they've encountered before this so the yeah like Trevor said the MC Extra stuff was pretty sweet 
very confusing though but it was pretty because I'm moving around clicking and stuff and it's just ugh, it played with my head a little bit walking upside down what'd you guys think of the men the new enemy the mans <laughs> those are the ones <laughs> these that, like... mans exploded on me <laughs> 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 that's a... <laughs> mess you up. yeah Tre- Trevor was we were in a discord me Dante and Trevor and Trevor started fighting men and he was just Having all types of like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so the the mans, they they shoot these projectiles, and it's like they 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 seek you out. Like they will they will follow you, and they do a ton of damage. And I guess up until um, maybe like the third or fourth encounter with them, I had been avoiding the projectiles. And then when I actually got hit by one, like it it almost overloaded me. Yeah, it was kind of cool because uh, these characters. So, like, as you're progressing through this game, you're fighting the same enemy types, like the creeps, the cluckers, the weeds, the jerks, all that. But as the game gets further along, and you have more abilities. They also get upgraded, so they have either more hit points or more attacks or stuff that they get. Well, the man or whatever they don't get that. They have like traits. So there's sneaky, and then like so, those ones are less likely to stay visible. There's also speedy, which is like more quick to attack you, and then there's shooty, who's more prone to want to shoot these. I think they're called hairballs or something at you. Or so like they also had traits, and it was a cool like. I think they're the only enemies like that. That instead of having like upgrade based off of like you know seeing so many or getting so far into the game they have traits so you can kind of see like what their attack pattern would be based off the words and I I thought that was kind of interesting maybe they were supposed to be like the next level of process or AI for I don't know they they seem very different than every other enemy in the game like more advanced right yeah like almost like they're a like Mixed between process and human at that point. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, but they were really, <laughs> they were really interesting, and um, you fought a, you fought a, actually a, a bunch of them at this latter part of the game. A bunch of those guys, and um, you ended up uh, communicating actually throughout this entire part where you're at this MC Escher part. You're talking to a robot proxy that Royce is communicating to you through and he's basically offering a truce so that they can get rid of the process and he, he tasks you, Red, with taking the transistor to the cradle where it can affect change or it can affect and change the city to its fullest um, and you end up getting there and you activate it and both Royce and Red get pulled into the transistor and once inside the transistor, you and Royce are both armed with um, a transistor of your own. And he tells you that only one of you guys can leave in order to change Cloudbank to how it was. And um, basically, you ended up fighting a boss fight against the final boss. And he has the same exact turn-based system that you've been using the entire time, which it, like... It kind of blew my mind, and it was it was like a cool little twist because 
this entire time I'm thinking I'm a badass, planning out all these turns and everything, and the first time I realize that the boss can do that to me and I can't do anything, I just kind of like, what the heck? Like how? Am I? Like it kind of it it it, blew, it it threw me for a trip for a second because I was just like, man, like, so you, I can't run away from this or I can't prevent this. I just have to take it. That's kind of crappy. Have I been this OP the entire game to the enemies? Yeah, man. It, it was just really cool to have that turned on its head and you have to deal with it um the (laughs) i did not like so um right when you get into right before the battle starts they basically force you to respect your entire uh layout and that was very stressful because i was like okay this is the last boss what do i need to choose what do i need to choose and then I was just kind of also like shaking my fist at the game going like why did you guys make me have to respect what i had was fine and so I tried to set up exactly what I had before. I failed to do so. And I kind of felt it <laughs> when I was fighting him at certain parts. Because I was just like, man, why did I choose this move? I can't even, like, I, I wasn't sure if you were just going to fight him straight up or him with some teammates. So it was a little bit frustrating because I had a move that was completely worthless against him. Yeah, I, I kind of ran into the same issue where... And I guess it makes sense because... Like going into the fight, like I was, uh, I was using switch uh, sometimes to try and like um, basically get enemies on my side. Yep. But um, so I mean, I guess going into it, you don't really know if they're gonna have those any like you know other enemies other than him. So it's kind of like, all right, well, do I need this? So, like the first time I died, like I completely just died. Um, you didn't and even then get after overloaded. I lost, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it, after that, I kind of got a good idea of like, oh, okay, so I kind of know what to expect and what you know, what abilities that I kind of need here at this point. What happens when you die? I was I was the only person that that died. I guess at that fu- at that fight, it basically lets you. I forget what what the context is, but it basically asks you, do you want to retry or whatever, and then just starts over again. Cool. Like I got really close to dying on that guy. Just I don't like how that battle plays per se like I definitely like the premise like all everything Marcus was saying but the actual fight is a little frustrating at points because it doesn't really feel like there's much you can do to dodge and it just feels like who can output more damage over the three rounds of the fight you can kind of use mask a little bit I guess to kind of like you know kind of stave him off a little bit but other than that I think that's really about it I found the boss battle extremely easy because after he does his turn he like immediately runs away and I was never too far away from him to like get right behind him and hit him with a bunch of um, um, backstabs which for me yeah I actually I got overloaded once but I also felt the boss like the initial shock that I felt of like, oh, I have to deal with this enemy doing this to me, but ultimately, like, I ended up playing way far away from him, so a lot of his, only one or two, one of his moves was even effective against me, I just tried to stay as far away from him as I could, and I had a long-range hitting move that I could hit him with, so I honestly didn't have too much issue with him, despite being overloaded once. Um, it was, it wasn't like it was a letdown, like, oh, I wish he was harder or anything like that, 
but it, it it was just the cool I just enjoy the concept of like oh, okay this is how it feels having to fight or defend against how I've been you know fighting against everybody this entire game um but after you defeat him or do, do you guys have anything else you need to say about the Royce fight cool um you return to cloud bank and you return to the starting point of the game uh which still has the body of the guy that you found the transistor in um the transistor asks basically what district red plans to repair first because now that she has uh access she can basically turn cloud bank to how it was before and uh she she gives the the transistor a final embrace before setting it down in, on the ground in front of the man. She basically she sits down, wraps the man's arm around her shoulders, and basically has the transistor stab her and kill her right next to this man. And then it cuts the credits. It cuts the black, cuts the credits, and at the end, it depicts Red and the man as lovers, revealing that he was the one that saved her from the camarada and that his it was his personality that was downloaded into the transistor uh, and then a uh, brief scene depicts the man in red inside the transistor in a field in front of a barn uh, which is a representation of the country which is where everybody supposedly was moving to when they left Cloudbank so when people were evacuating the city they were moving out to the country um, and so they greet each other which kind of indicates that red has her voice back um and then cuts to the, the, the end of the, the credits, I guess you could say, or the credit songs. But um, the one thing I want to ask, uh, specifically Dante, uh, going back on his theory about the people being logging into this place or whatever, was um, if we think, or because this, well, I think that every that you have to log into CloudBank. So you're like logging on to something, like say you're logging on to Facebook or you're logging on to the internet or whatever. Like the country is that a representation of the real world then? So like her and this guy are meeting each other outside in the real world. And I was wondering if that's how you took it or how did you take this ending scene? That's definitely how I took it the first time. Now I'm not so sure. <laughs> like it's one of those yep. things where, like, I answered a lot of questions playing through the game a second time, but it also opened up a bunch of questions about other things, and the ending becomes a little bit more ambiguous, whether this is, like, the real world, the afterlife, some, like, I don't know. It could be a lot of things. And part of the reason I like this game is it reminds me of the ending of Inception, and I love Inception. Where they kind of leave you on that cliffhanger. That's the only movie you ever watched, right? (laughs) What was that? That's like one of the few movies that you like like and have watched, right? Yes. I would say movie of the decade. Okay. Do you think maybe... I I know, like... Think it's like Lost-ish? I... I don't think it's as ambiguous and misleading as Lost was. Like, I just... I think it's more vague, but I don't think it's as 
misleading, if that makes sense. Okay. Do you have any other theories of what it could be? So you think either real life or in heaven? Do you have any other like ideas? or Do any of you guys have any interpretations or anything that you would like to throw in, Trevor? I Greg? mean, I honestly just looked at it like Tron, like it's an actual computer program and all of these functions and and like the processes you know becomes corrupted and becomes a virus it's all just like physical manifestations of computer terms and ideals and kind of going into what he said like the ultimatum at the end of the game before Red kills herself um, the transistor starts talking to her and he's like how are you going, going to rebuild Cloud Bank so there is some type of indication that there is kind of like a user control and she's like the super user that can essentially mold how Cloud Bank lives you got any interpretations Greg? <laughs> nah like I, I... If anything, like, just kind of thinking about it now, I think I kind of lean towards, like, what Trevor was saying about it kind of being, like, Tron-ish. But I, mean, I haven't really, like, thought too deeply about it. It's weird because I, I like the... the I like to think it's people in real world accessing something. And so when they're in Cloud Bank, they're in the... They're, they're logged in. So her meeting this man in the country after she logged off is her meeting him in real life and like so when everybody's like supposedly evacuating cloud bank they're like logging out they're like you know ditching whatever program or whatever that they're on and going back to the real world but that i guess that's was that more like matrixy <laughs> or something uh i think you might want to check out sword art online Oh, I'm not saying... Well... I'm just messing with you. I was like, I don't want to say anything bad, but uh, you know me, bro. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I I, I do... I I agree with you. I do like the... The ambiguity at at the end. I, I do like that it can have a... We all have, well, you know, we have just named three different interpretations of, like, what her logging are, like, suicide basically represents and what the country represents. And I don't think any of them are, like, wrong, so I do like the openness of it. But the the issue that I had was, like, while I was in the middle of playing this game, like, I was not getting any of, like any anything like this uh, it wasn't until after I beat the game and then I read up that I was like okay this was what happened here and this is what happened here and I kind of want to like I said do that new game plus to kind of now that I know what to look for now I can look for it as I'm playing Trevor? And I think that might be a part of the storytelling because one you know your main character is mute at the at the time so you can't get the story from her and you're getting it through these through this narrative that is the, the weapon that you're using I mean she's mute the entire game until the very end so right. like you're you're like you said you're getting 100% of the well I should say 100% of the story you're getting like 
the here and the now from the transistor, yeah, but then you're getting a lot of the background information from like if you I, I did not read any of the functions that you got throughout the game, the character blurbs about the other characters. Did you guys read any of that stuff? Because I I, 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 I parsed through it pretty quickly. It's good stuff. Like it sets up like who Sybil was, who all the other Camarada were, and then you have um, just kind of random people Characters. around town as well. I I read though that like I actually read somebody that played Bastion in Transistor, and he commented on saying that <laughs> all that extra information didn't help clarify the main story and actually led to more questions. So like supposedly, uh, well, they do, um, Grant and Asher have the same last name, but they never quite spell out what their relationship is with each other, and I believe one is in his, is significantly older than the other, so it's like, is it like, are they lovers? Are, is, are they, not necessarily, are they father and son, or what is their relationship with each other? Um, not that it matters, but like, there was some questions like that. Like, how do these characters, these camarada characters, meet? And like, I even, like, even just beyond that, just looking at the story, there was multiple interpretations of what the camarada's end goal was. Were they trying to make a place that they felt was good better, or were they trying to make a place that they felt was bad good? Like, were they did they feel like the cloud bank could be improved upon or cloud bank was crappy and they needed to improve it like just so that they have noble intentions did they have like uh were their intentions uh, purely in self-interest and trying to improve something according to their liking or was it to improve based off of uh the community's you know uh situation so it it was interesting to read a lot of the people's interpretations of the story and there's a lot of questions as far as like people having these theories or having to have things explained to them so I'm okay with us where we're at with (laughs) what we think the story is at because it doesn't seem like a lot of it is uh, concrete there's a lot of room for interpretation with the story Um, well do you guys have anything else that you want to talk about, or any questions, comments? I want to talk about the soundtrack. Let's talk about the soundtrack, man. So, talk about that one song. <laughs> so, Bastion, like, really struck me as like a really good soundtrack because, like, it's one of those where you can literally listen to it outside of the game. Um. Transistor, on the other hand, I don't think it has as many iconic songs as Bastion had. Like, Bastion, of course, had Build build That Wall. Or was it Build the Wall? Um, I think it was Build That Wall or something like that. Building a Wall. The song was ahead of its time. But, um... But Transistor doesn't have, like, any... Any, like... Songs that you would, like... Immediately equate to the game like I think it has some good tracks but nothing really like stands out especially as far as the lyrics because I think everything bruh in circles are we not am I gonna have to do a Dan Riker and just like 
Stop Everything, Tropical Freeze is the best soundtrack type of stuff right now. Wait, say that again? Like, the... I am flabbergasted by that statement. There are so many... Oh, I mean, oh. like, there there are a couple of songs that seem thematic, but nothing that stands out that, you know, like, sticks in your head like you start singing it after you finish playing the game. At least in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like, there's... Other than, like, the the main theme, I guess, like, I don't... I can't really pick out things that are super memorable like it's good music but it's like it, it's not there's nothing in particular that's like sticking with me I I remember Bastion stuff outside like I remember getting that OST and listening to it outside of the game and really enjoying it and I do not think I could do that with Transistor and that's not to say that the music is bad in this game. It's, to me, a little, like... Personally, it's less memorable for me. But in the game, it totally fits and it's and it's good. But I don't think I would listen to this outside of the game. Even, like, the song that I really, really like that I think... I mean, I, I was in Discord with Trevor and I was just in the access point. I was probably in the access point for, like, four minutes just listening to the beat. And like, and I was, I was, I, I really enjoyed that. But even that, like, outside of the game, does not sound the same as it does in the game to me. So I think Dante might be alone on this. I, I think I do think the the music is good, but I I think I prefer more in Bastion. It's fine. I, I'll I will concede to everybody else. It's fine. Um, what I will say is you got some really good tracks. You got Old Friends. You've got um, In Circles is really good. Traces is very good. Waterwall pretty good. What? Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> that song is so good in the game. It has like, I feel like it's just like filtered outside of the game. Like it doesn't have that same oomph that it has in the game for whatever reason. I just was really, really, really feeling water water wall in the game. But like when I listened to it in the OST, I was just like, Huh. This is the same song. How come I don't yeah, feel the same Yeah, when you guys way? were raving about it and then I went to the OST, I'm like like I do see the drum and bass stuff they're talking about, but I didn't think it was stand out drum and bass stuff. I, I, yeah, Trevor, I was, I was, I felt bad because I felt like we hyped that up a lot, and then I listened to it on YouTube because I was like, "Why is he tripping? This song is great." Then I was like, "Oh, that's why." Yeah, when I was playing it in the game, there was that one song that just had like a lot of bass to it. I, that's what I'm saying. I think it's just, it's just awesome in the and game. I, like honestly, I couldn't even find that song like when I was listening to the OST, but then. Real talk, I thought you guys sent me the wrong track at first, and I was, I was like trying to clarify. But you said, "Are you sure you said one?" But Waterwall? no, Waterwall is that joint though. It is the song, but like it just—it's not the same in the outside of the game. And I guess this is a good jumping-off point for like explaining how the music ties directly into the game. So Red is a singer, and that's kind of her function, her purpose in the world. And one of the really amazing things this game does, and it's a really subtle thing, at some point early in the game, they just say, 
press the tab button to start humming and she literally will start humming along to whatever tracks playing in the background and that's just like it's a subtle touch but it's so amazing that they went in and had this artist hum out every single song pretty much was it Kid Cudi? you know that would have been pretty cool she go dumb with the hums (laughs) (laughs) freaking Kid Cudi can hum his, his he can hum man um. Yeah, I I didn't do that that often. I think that in the flourish, I I I did flourish a bunch, but I was like, what's the point of this thing? So I thought I don't yeah, remember if it I, was you. I, I completely I forgot one about you two that. said something. Yeah, like I did it a bunch because I thought somebody had said if you do this at a certain point, something happens. But no, no, no. I was talking about the humming. Okay. Well, I the flourish is just there. Like it's it's like a taunt button almost. It's it's not there for you know increasing your level or anything but it's just a stupid thing you can do that's kind of cool I would have rather had a role like Bastion facts but yeah Jaunt so yeah Jaunt's pretty cool um so overall how do we feel about this game we we, we all liked it right I, I think straight up I think this is my favorite super giant game of the two I played <laughs> I thought I loved Bastion but I think Transistor is my new best friend uh, I was about to say, are we about to have that discussion? Which one's better? Hey, we can have that discussion. I really want to play Pyre now. I the same. Like, I fell I, off of Pyre real hard. I'm gonna have to give it another shot. Like, I'm not. I'm not gonna be that dude that hypes it down. But it is a very different game. I mean, this, this game because of the combat. I think this game is different than Bastion too. Like. I mean, a lot of the things are similar, but I still think this game is very different than Bastion, which is weird. Yeah, I'm just saying, don't use this as a barometer for higher per se. Oh, definitely, definitely. I, I, I just kind of, like, I really like the two things. Like, there are certain developers, I guess I can say, that it's like, okay, I've played, you know, a decent chunk of their body of work, and I like it, so I feel comfortable giving them money in order to play like I feel that way about um Double Fine uh for a while I mean I I I got every Double Fine game just cuz and like I I there's some games of theirs that I don't have but the things of theirs that I did play I liked so much that I was just like hey you guys get a pass or you know you guys will I will get your game just cuz and this this is their second of three games and I finally played the second game and Pyre just came out what last year? Yep. Late last year? Yeah, twenty seventeen. Late last year. Yeah, so I'm just like, hey, well, I played two of their three games and I really like those two games a lot. So I'll give Pyre the benefit of the doubt and even if I don't like it, like, hey, you guys are still batting sixty six percent with me, so I do have a question. What's up? Alright. So if you were to die and turn into a function, what would your function do? Oh, my real life function, or like from a function from this game. If you died, if you were NPC in Transistor and you died, and you get absorbed into the Transistor Sword, what can Red do? Mine would be like some type of instant transmission to get somewhere because I'm pretty lazy, so uh, I'm trying to get to where I'm going in a hurry. Mine would be probably, honestly, mine would be like 
I want to say mine would be like jaunt where um, I don't sleep that much so you have less time or you wouldn't need as much time in between turns in order to do another move yeah something like that man that's a tough one I feel like this is like an interview question <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm on the spot dang man so I wish I could go to an interview I just thought about and it ask like... you how much how much transistor have you played so this is more of a passive thing but I think my passive ability would be like you can't use turn anymore but all of your other moves become active so you can have like you can just keep spamming moves well you you could use all of your moves you just have to use them in real time which isn't as great as it sounds because a lot of those moves have a decent amount of startup or cooldown and you have less defense that too. Trevor, you ain't got one? Yeah, I'm still thinking. <laughs> my mine would be like um uh what's the one? Uh help. You get a friend. But Oh, so pretty much like if you ever run into a puzzle, it stops being a puzzle. Nah man, like your friend uses <laughs> your friend uses the, the left stick and left trigger. And you use the right stick and the right trigger. That way you can complete the puzzles together. <laughs> I see you. I see you. Okay. Try to tie it all together. <laughs> okay. Okay. I like this bit. Um. Well, yeah. So, but overall, how, how do you guys feel then? I think you guys all like it. You like it better than Bastion. Like it as much as Bastion. It's completely different. Stop comparing them. Not everything needs to be compared, I, Marcus. I, I think that as far as gameplay, I, I do prefer Transistor over uh, Bastion. Um, so just on that alone, I'm going I'm to give it the edge. Hell yeah, I'm, I'm probably in the same boat. I think Bastion is a great game, but the combat in this game is too strong. Like, straight up, this is probably the... probably my favorite combat I've, in a video game. Which is insane. It ain't no Bond Commando. But, no, this uh, is my favorite. It's up there with Bond Commando, but this might slightly edge it out. This combat, I don't know. I think it's mostly because I'm on an Into the Breach kick right now, but this is just like it's it's hitting everything that I needed to do. No, this is probably the most sane thing you've said since we started this podcast to be perfectly honest. <laughs> like, it just feels weird to say that this is the best combat in a game I've ever played. It's so good. I've been thinking about it ever since I played this game. Like, every couple of months, I'd just be like, man, Transistor. That was a freaking game right there. And definitely, of all the games we've played, I, I dare say it's my favorite of the ones we've played so far. Fam. Air high fives. Mm. This, this, is, this, this is the best art out of all the games we've played so far. I won't go that far. I'll just say it's the best game. <laughs> Who wins it, though? Art? Yeah. Or art direction? I mean, personally, I, I, and I, I, like, I think we kind of said this on the side. Like, it's not necessarily the art that gets me, but it's the overall style. I still think I would probably still give it to Hotline Miami as, like, my favorite, like, cohesive, like, with the music and the artwork and just how it looks. But I think graphics wise this game looks really pretty 
um, if if that's what you mean when you say art. But I, I think if we're including like just like background and music and all that. I mean, stuff, holistically, the style. I can see the argument for Hotline. Yeah. But yeah, Trevor it didn't sound like you were um, on board when we said best game we've played. What What do you think? Um, out of curiosity. I know you want to say Metal Gear Rising. It's fine. Nah, Metal y'all keep getting we play Bioshock Infinite. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I didn't forget. <laughs> Damn. What about you, Greg? <sighs> I think I'm still leaning towards Metal Gear, but this is up there. Though. My hey, boy. Not going to lie. This batch of games that we played, they've hit the spot for me. So, we did... I want to give us ourselves a round of applause, round of applause, or you know, pat ourselves on the back because these these games we played this year so far, it, they've been good. These games are good. Um, and more coming. I was gonna say, speaking of yeah, so far, when are we announcing our next slate of games? Yeah, I was just gonna have to say I was gonna try to hit that, that quick transition. Um, obviously, we don't have any questions, um, no emails, I should say. But um, we currently have a poll up for our game that we are going to cover next month for the month of April. Um, the poll will actually close the day this episode comes out. So we're going to drop this episode on the 22nd. So the poll will also close on the 22nd. So you guys will have until midnight to vote in that poll. And the options, I think we received about 20, 30-ish games. And we ended up going with uh, Greg chose Yakuza uh, Kiwami, the uh, remake of the original Yakuza game. Trevor chose uh, Gunpoint and Doki Doki Literature Club, or Doki Doki Literature Club and Gunpoint. Dante chose The Evil Within. And I chose Advance Wars. So you have between those four options to vote from. Uh, last I checked, it was very, very heated. It, it was very close. So I think... Um, Not to, like, contradict you, but by the time this goes up, they won't be able to vote, right? No, they will have until the end of that day. Until the end of... So, like, at 11... I guess instead of saying midnight, I should say at 11.59... Gotcha. Up to, you know, so right now it looks, I think the way it's breaking out is two of the games are tied and then the winning game has one vote higher than both of those two games. So it is very, very close right now. Whereas last time it was Bioshock by a landslide. I think it had like three times as many votes, maybe even four times as many votes as the thing behind it. This is very close. So make sure you guys vote. And we will also be releasing the schedule. We have already chosen our games for the months after that. And it looks like a very diverse and interesting batch of games. Um, so I'm hoping that this one, this this batch of games will continue the streak of having some, some, super, some super dope games. So I'm super excited for one of them at least. So, be on the lookout on Monday, the 23rd, for us to reveal the winners as well as the other four games. Um, 
Greg, we didn't get any emails, right? Nah, but, you know, if you guys want to get involved with the show, uh, hit us up at mischeckpoints at gmail.com. Yep. And uh, where, where can people find you, Greg? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Boombox Hero. Uh, Facebook is the same, uh, Boombox Hero. And on Twitch at twitch.tv slash xdrdmagnegrox. Where can people find you, Dante? Okay. Um, they can find me at dantethinksoutloud.wordpress.com. And probably nowhere else right now. Where can people find you at, Trevor? You can find me on Twitter, um, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, at Lyric Unsung. You can find me at Potato Salad on Twitter and Ensalada de Papa on PSN. And if we don't have anything else, uh, be on the lookout for our schedule, our calendar of upcoming games on the 23rd of April, on that Monday. We're going to have some exciting games to announce, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, But with that, we are Miss Checkpoints, and we're out. Peace.